0: Welcome to the Youth Sports Parenting Tribe. I'm your host, Hernán Chosa, former tennis player and father of two boys involved in the sport. What can you find here? Thought leaders, psychologists, authors, former athletes, coaches, agents and others share that knowledge and wisdom to help us become super parents. As Jim Rome used to say, for things to change, we have to change. Welcome to the tribe. Today, our guest is Georgie Gravero, former tennis player ranked 107 WTA, representing Argentina in Fed Cup and gold medal winner in the Pan American Games in Rio 2007. Married to Matias and mother of Martina Ignacio, she now lives in the USA and is part of the coaching staff of the University of Tennessee women's tennis team. Georgie, welcome to the tribe.
1: Hi, Elman. Thanks for having me today. So excited.
0: Yeah, thanks for being here. And the story with today's guest is that back in 2015 I published my first book, My Sunday Tennis Player, and I created a a blog to start writing about certain topics. And I I asked certain people to be contributors and to write about another topics, such as physical training, technique, and mental game. And that's when I met Georgie and he said yes right away and he written a couple of things. Unfortunately, the blog two years later, I turned it down. But now we have the tribe and and we can speak to Georgie. And and, and the first question is about your retirement because maybe it's a sad thing, but I've watched on the internet and I've seen a picture of you in a fed cap dressed uh, by the team clothes. And at your right was Gabriela Sabatini, one of the tennis icons in Argentina in the world. And in <clears> your <throat> left was the former president of the federation. So that's a classy retirement. So uh, what were your thoughts about your retirement? And can you summarize some of your career, your tennis career?
1: I, I started really young. I'm um, the fifth one. I have another four siblings. Everybody played tennis. Yeah. Um, we never expect, I think, like tennis will be what it was and what it is for me today. I mean, it was just in a sport. And then we kind of start, like, okay, competing. And we start realizing I was playing at a higher level than my siblings. And then things keep going, keep going. And to be honest, we had no clue what was gonna happen, what we have to do. And so it was just try, fail, try, and get something right. <laughs> and then uh, it was the time to uh, start playing outside the country. So I started traveling to South America, and I came to US and tried to be on the on the warm map And it was a challenge. It was so hard to go to Europe and and be successful and all that kind of stuff. But one thing brought the other one and keep playing, keep playing. And there was the decision about going pro, coming to college. We didn't know about college much, so decided to go to pro. And he was like more than 10 years on the circuit Seen like, okay, this is the right thing. I should keep going. I should stop. I should try to make run and all that kind of stuff. And when I, I think I always say that I could do better, but you know, always you want to do more and better or different now that you already ride the train. Uh, but, um, I think for the information and the tools that i have and resources that, that i have as a kid, and then playing in the pro i did pretty decent and then well like you say is it's retirement time you never know when it's the right time and that was the big surprise because it, it was kind of funny how it happened usually you say it's sad it was sad it was hard but it was so clear to me i have to retire i was so ready and a, a, I, I remember I was in a tournament and this is crazy. I, I was coming from injury, I was in a tournament, play small tournament to go and play a bigger tournament later. And I'm on the court, I win the first set six zero and I sit down and I go like I don't want to be here. So I fear I myself have to keep playing and lost in two I mean in three sets with two tie sets, it didn't look too bad. <laughs> <laughs> I should have been saying this, but that was with reality. I lost the second set, I think six four and the third one seven five saying because I shouldn't lose that much. And get off the court, call my husband Matthias because we were married by then and say, I'm going home. And he goes, What do you mean? Yeah. They're going home. I mean, um, I'm not staying here. I don't want to be here. I'm, I'm done. And he goes, but it's just a match. No, no, it's not about the match. I want my first set. I sit down and over, and I have to go home. I don't need to be here. And he goes, okay. And say I already have a ride. They're driving back home. So I'm getting my bike from the hotel and going home. So I will be there tonight. <laughs> he was in shock. <laughs> and I came back and, and say, listen, we don't need to talk about it and just give, give me time and I will, I'm going to be ready to talk. <laughs> and that was probably November, 2000, 2000, yeah, 2010. And then like a few weeks later, I go, okay, I'm done. And he goes, well, your double ranking is still good. You should play. No, 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 I'm good. I don't need to be playing. Well, you have club matches, yeah. I can do some club matches and figure out and do the process through the year, and that's the time that I also start traveling with the federation. I mean, we, uh, the kids, and all that. And I go, I'm good. And so next thing is, I don't remember exactly who. Probably it was Bettina uh, Foucault and help me and say we will we are playing at the tennis. Uh, Argentina tennis club. So let's go. There is FedCup It's, Pet Cup. it's the, the place that y- you love. You love Pet Cup, blah, blah, blah. And then I got the surprise. Gabriela was there. So it was kind of neat because it was my favorite competition when with the colors from Argentina and with my friend, because I played with all those girls. And having them, the coaches, and then a lot of people from the federation that I grew up, and they helped me a bunch. And then, um, like, well, Salatini was there. So I said, listen. This this cannot get better. So yeah, yeah. it it was good.
0: Yeah, you mentioned you mentioned a couple of things about lack of information when you were young, and I spoke to many to many kids that were in the program. They say the same thing. They they did the best that they could with the information that they had because back then you, you didn't have all the internet and, and all these things. And the other important thing that you said is you have a quick decision, and the great ones perform quick decisions. You weren't going back and forth you say I'm done and I'm done and you get sealed at that and I'm talking about Fed Cup you have a pretty good record and when you play for your country or you suffer the match or you give your best and it looks like you play even better than in the touring in the Fed Cup how are, are you, you were your feelings when you were playing for your country
1: I always say that playing for your country is is different it's special and it's not for everybody and we as Argentinian we love soccer and so when people start like criticizing the players and all that it makes me nuts because it's not easy it's not and so and we are talking like for us like FedCab it wasn't at the high level that you know the Argentinian team in soccer play or the even the Davis Cup team play and but still it's is not something that I I think like everybody can deal with depression and with emotions and what that means. I mean I think for me it was always really special and I always worked really hard for <clears throat> be part of the team. And even if it wasn't my time to play because the other player on the team they were better or they were in better level at that point or mentally, whatever it was, the, the reason they had to play. I feel that I was a big support for the team. Um, I, I like the team competition. And, like, tennis is so lonely that when it, it comes to the team, it was also super special. So I consider myself not a selfish person and I think that give also an extra. And So it doesn't matter where I was on the court, like on the bench, whatever. I, I was going 100% and, and helping because the colors mean everything to me. I mean, it's nothing better than wear the Argentinian colors. And um, I think my husband is the same way and my whole family too. And, you know, I think that actually helped I, I mean, it's funny because I'm not a big soccer fan. But, you know, we, at Argentina, we had that extra inside us, I think. And so it it make it special. It make it super special. So, yeah, I guess that helped me to raise the level because it wasn't only for myself. It was for the whole country. And I enjoy it, though. I enjoy it, like, big time. It was the, the best feeling that I ever have is... Being there and listening to the national anthem is the best feeling ever.
0: Yeah, it looks like you are more a team player like as a tennis player, you know? Tennis players (laughs) are selfish and it's hard to, to listen the way you speak. No, it's hard to listen, but it's very weird to listen from a tennis player that you have that perspective. And it's not surprising because you surround yourself with people that are that way. And then you moved to the USA and you had a, a, a tough start in there, as all tennis players do, because all tennis players have to adapt and change years. And so what happened to you and, and how did you, did you solve that, that problem at that time?
1: When we moved to the US with my husband, uh, we were married probably for a little bit more than a year. I was, like I say, traveling with the federation and some like club matches and all that. And Matias was working with Guille Coria uh, in Rosario in the academy. And things started getting like noisy in Argentina. And as said tennis coaches, you know, like we were putting like making a list, like we should stay here, the pros, the cons, and we, we have an opportunity to move to US. We have a friend in Florida. So, we go, okay, this might be a good thing. So we got, we saw everything we have. Yeah. And we moved to, yes, we, we knew like if something happened, we can come back home. I mean, we have both families supporting us. And so that was a big thing that um, we knew if something was bad, we can always come back. Let's say, so let's try. We are young, still no kids. And so we moved to Florida since um they were okay but then after two months we realized things that were like not good from the legal part we are i mean really strict on things has to the we always do the right way <laughs> And so that wasn't something for us. Um we were liking on the way that the NCAA championship was getting played in Georgia, in the University of Georgia, um in Athens. So the connection goes like Baylor team is playing a quarterfinals there and the coach by then it was Matias coach when Matthias played tennis at Baylor. By the way, he was really good in college. He was really good in junior too. but that was the first team that won the NCAA champ for Baylor University in all the sport. The coach at Baylor adores Matias. He did the clinch point, so it was a big time for him. Um, So we were there to see the Baylor team, and we started talking to Coach Matt, and he goes, Matias, you have to get out from there. Uh, that's not good. He was always like a second dad for Matias. And I go, I'm agree. I mean, I'm, I don't feel good here. And he say, I have a friend in Tulsa, Oklahoma. They have an academy and he's growing a lot. So he always needs coaches. Let me talk to him. That might be a good thing. By the time we didn't know where is Oklahoma, where is Tulsa. Nothing. And um, so we we decided to contact the guy and this, say, yeah, I need actually both coaches. We have a coach living, but we always need, like, we have too many kids. We are growing fast. Say, okay. So probably two, three weeks later, we pack. And I remember we have, we bought a, a used car. So we had the car, probably three big bags. A TV, a laptop, a printer, and pretty $2,000, and that's it. And we got in the car and we start driving. So we drove for more than 10 hours to Alabama to a family that I knew from playing the tournaments there. And so we stayed there for a week. And we, it was so funny that why is the laptop, and the printer that we took with us because we were scanning and printing and sending the stuff all the way to the lawyers constantly to accelerate the visa process. So it was crazy. So the printer and the laptop saved us big time. And so we were doing that. We spent a week in Alabama. That I love that family and i still in touch today. And actually, hopefully we can go and visit because they don't know our kids. So that's the next step with them, uh, but it's, it's nice because we stay there, they help us so much. And then, okay, it's the time to move to Tulsa and try to meet our new boss, our new place and see what's going on. So after a week, we drove again, I think it was 11, 12 hours. We don't always to uh, Tulsa. Um, and we get there the first night we did at the hotel, that it wasn't a good hotel, <laughs> It wasn't in a good area. It was kind of scary <laughs> and we are there. And then we meet our new boss. We keep going through the visa process. Still like, we don't know what we're going to do because you never know if the visa is going to be good or not. And then a week later my visa get asked for more information so super stressful. We leave Tulsa. We go to back to where in Dallas and then to Waco where is Baylor because we were buying time because we couldn't work. We didn't have a visa. And then finally well, Matias get approved so we start driving back and we get there and we have a lot of people helping us like big time. We were able to rent an apartment, and the way that we this is crazy, but the way that we were able to get stuff for our apartment, it was the family say, "Hey, I'm getting a new couch. Why you don't take my old couch here?" Oh, well, I'm not using this dresser. Get the dresser." So that's how we like. Put the apartment together, like people getting because we we didn't have any money. Actually, the visas, which it was a lot of money to pay the visa, my dad with his credit card we pay, like with that card because we didn't have a credit card meter, <laughs> um, and we had to give his money back and um, slowly because we we didn't have any. So <laughs> that's how we started. So when we start through the whole process and being really, really successful in Tulsa. And we always say that if we have a hard day, go to the parking lot, at the first hotel we spend the night in Tulsa for five minutes, seeing where we were and and then move on that we are actually in pretty good shape right now. So yeah, but funny thing on Tulsa is um, we have a picture, a really important picture for Matthias um, college career is a picture when he clinched the point and win the national and he's on his knee on the court and on the back uh, you can read Tulsa. So his championship, uh, he played University of Tulsa, which which is crazy. We didn't know where Tulsa were, but <laughs> he eventually knew because he been there. He won the national and that's the picture that the first picture we have um, when we got married in our apartment and everything, that's the main picture of him. Like the same way they have one from FedCap, he have that one for Baylor. And we ended up living in Tulsa, going back to Tulsa. So I like Lisa, you didn't know where Tulsa was. <laughs> well, was. I didn't, but I guess I've been there, so funny. Since I meant to be to get by there, though.
0: Yeah, you mentioned a couple of things. You mentioned that uh, Matias clinched a match, and and that's the the best feeling you can have. I've seen my son at college clinching matches, and that's amazing. And and he had a credit there with a clinch. He had a credit, and then the coach give him or give you guys an advice. And you took that advice and you start doing the things right away and you follow all the process to overcome every obstacle that you find on the way and you made it. And, and you said in some interview that you, you never felt like, like working as a coach, but you feel like you can add something to that coaching field. So that's why you started in such business. What are your, your, your points of view or the assets that you bring to the coaching field?
1: It's weird because we always say to be a good coach, you have to kill the player first. And that's a big thing. And it's not an easy thing to do when you are a really good player. So when big men become coaches, you, you expect them to be successful. Well, that might not be the right thing. I mean, it is hard. I think. I think uh, mm-hmm. Matias, he kind of did pretty really good. He finished college. He worked for in Dallas. Then he moved back to Argentina and worked in the office. So when he started again coaching, he was already there. And his player was like not even on the picture. To me, it's like I just finished it. And I just have to like start coaching. And... I always say if it helped me so much that my decision was easy to take that, okay, I'm done playing. And I think that helps me a lot of focusing on the coaching part, but what helped me the most through years is I realized I like teaching more than coaching. And so... It's funny because it's a different thing. Um, like coaching, you, you are helping the kid with, okay, what to do on this situation? What have to play? Have to manage pressure? Have to like compete better. Have to adjust so, so situation during matches, during training and pushing you. You don't have that much. I don't know if the right word well, that much empathy of things. Like you just, you're pushing most of the time. Yeah, you talk and... Try to be soft sometimes and all that, but it's more about pushing and trying to get the best out of them. And I really realized with time I didn't like that much, even if I I did it for a few years. And um, then I I like teaching. I like giving the kids and even the adults because I do it in the adults were too all the tools that you can need to get a chance to be good. And then if you use it or not, that's your thing. If you are athletic enough or not to be a really good player or an average player that we can later, but I say it's no reason to not teach everybody or don't give everybody the chance to have the right tools. So that helped me even more to like, okay, I'm out of a player situation here. Um, I'm not there. I like coaching and I can change my tip and be coaching, but I love teaching. Yeah. I don't know if-
0: I, I, I've seen a couple of things about you. you teaching because you mentioned teaching instead of coaching. And I've seen a couple of videos that I want to mention. One video, there was a lady on the wall, hitting on the wall. And that's not regular in the USA. Maybe here in Argentina, the wall is kind of a, a vintage I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, thing. <laughs> yeah. And the, and the other thing is that I, I've seen a lady hitting and, and their their both feet were in one spot. She couldn't move and she has to make the his forehand or, or backhand. And that was weird for me. Can you explain that both situations, please?
1: No, I mean, with the wall, it's funny because I, I have funny story with the wall. I was... Probably ten years old, and we got a chance to go to the Vilas Academy Club, whatever. And Vilas was there for two weeks in the winter, so we were like practicing. I was with Pitu Salerni, so it, it was funny. He set up a station, and me and Pitu had to go to the wall. And it was two hours and a half later, and we stood on the wall, and no one came with us. So we stopped to get a drink. So we ran to the bar for a second. Of course on that time Vilas came over and we were in the wall and we got in such a big trouble. And so he came back when we come back he said, Well, you're gonna spend another three hours. <laughs> we spend another three hours on the wall we didn't move, believe me. We never again moved to the spot if Vilas wasn't telling us to move. We learned really quick. and um, but he helped us they have, I remember these nice figures with the circle that you can target and we were doing competition and going to the target like 100 in a row and all that. And so it was so fun and we just have one ball, one wall and nothing else. We So to me, it helps football-wise because the ball comes faster. You need to control the power because if you hit fat, hard, the ball comes even faster, you're struggling. And um, you have to deal with precision, like make it to the right spot. If you want to practice forehand, you can't try to hit crosses. You have to hit down the line so you can, so it's a lot of things that it will give you and you can't blame everybody else It's all you. For me, it's, that's really important. And we play as growing up for hours. That's another thing we, when. In San Francisco, I'm from a small town, San Francisco, Cordoba, um, and our coach make us like be in the wall every single day, that and jump roping. So to meet those two things, they're over and over and over every single day. And you don't need anybody else to do those two things. So it's no excuses. And um, so for me, that is really, really important. If you want to play, you don't have anybody else, you have a wall, you have a racquetball, you're good to go. You don't need anything else. And then about feeding the ball to one spot without moving is I'm big on the technique part. So I think that um, that's one thing that if you can hit the ball on the right spot with the right hand knee, then you won't hit it moving. I try to master repetition without movement of trying to it's already the thing is too complex to have the coordination with hand, eyes, feet and all that. If you also are moving when you are correcting a grip or changing uh, like technique and all that, <laughs> you get no easy. So I try to simplify the best i can uh, and then we add more challenging stuff than then that movement part and all that kind of stuff but yeah it's, it's nothing big behind that it's just keeping it simple so they can learn and i and like i say i mean i'm big on the technique part i grew up with coaches super strict on the technique even y- you mentioned that not moving, but we when we start learning tennis, we not even hit a ball. So for months, it's just about the shadows. So I remember we were a group of the beginners off the court between the table that we eat uh, asado, <laughs> trying to not hit each other. We just shadow of the swing, forehands, backhands, serves, uh, over and over and after month. Nowadays, month. Oh, okay, technique is good. So you are getting behind the player that is getting pit ball and you're gonna shadow the player. But you weren't hitting balls yet. <laughs> For another month. And then maybe after six months of doing shadow between the tables or shadows behind the player that we're playing, maybe you were able to get a chance to hit a ball. And then yeah, by the time you were hitting the ball, you were amazing because you did so many shadows. And watch out, we do it the wrong way. So the technique has to be good. That's how we start playing tennis. And that's the philosophy they have at the club that I learned, that everybody learned the same way, doesn't matter the age. So you didn't hit a ball for month and month and month. And you know what? No one quit everybody keep coming back even if they knew they weren't hitting ball and you know what no parents complain either <laughs> uh, <laughs> so yeah and everybody looks great in the academy it's just like no everybody was uh, super good or again it depends on the ability but everybody you can tell i remember uh, going to a tournament and you can tell which kid was from our academy like right away everybody looked amazing the technique was a huge thing so I think I you know as growing up in like academy they had a the positive thing the negative thing well that for me was 100 positive percent and I took it and I took it with me and we were really disciplined and I took that with me too and that's how I teach and coach I try to be disciplined and then the technique is pretty important
0: yeah, it looks like tennis is inexpensive. Just one ball and the wall and that's it. And the wall never miss. I've been in Chandil one month and uh, I did the same as you. And and, uh, and all the group, uh, you follow the group. No one complains and it's the, the, the way that you said. And that's why probably Argentina has so many great players because they are used to, to the pain and to repeat things. And you are involved in something that, that I got pretty interesting because i didn't know that about cardio tennis i watched a video last l- last week and you know tennis is is losing space to other sports that are easier and i find cardio tennis kind of a, a softer path in tennis what do you say about it
1: well it's funny because it's like two years ago we were at a convention with matthias and this lady came and uh, like cardio tennis, and I go, What is this? Like seriously, like it is a joke. <laughs> and then she was such a good energy, so high and everything. So it's not easy to not pay attention to her, and she get you going. And I go, oh my god, this is my thing. And Matias go. We should bring it to the club and I go like, really? And no, yeah, we should bring her to the club and, and like teach us how to do it because it it can be so fun. And we are talking now of a male coach doing something cardio, it sounds more like girly style and Matisto into like high performance and all that kind of stuff. And I go like. Just saying yes to that and bring it to the club, I was in shock and I go like, okay, yeah. And I will take her, I, I, will, I will be the leader on this one. And she goes, okay, that we, we make it happen. So it was kind of funny because like usually she say the cardio tennis, they play with yellow balls. So the regular ball and she goes, no, that's it. No, no, no. And she always say when she doesn't like it, something is no, no, no. And I go <laughs> like, okay that we use the orange ball, which is the kids' ball, that's how people call it, um, because it's safe, because it's slow, and you use two bounces. And then it's about moving, get, getting the cardio, and not being good at tennis. <laughs> so That's great. <laughs> uh, you, you, yeah. So you don't need to be a tennis player to be part of that class you don't need to be super athletic because you manage your own pace and you include a station when you are waiting and not hitting balls and you add ladders to make a pad and create the way you have to run so everybody's safe and then uh, the two bounces is because like that way that you keep the point longer and so it's it was so fun to watch it. And this lady is high energy, yelling at everybody. And, and I go, this is me. I can yell at people without getting in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> and so, and they play music. Music is really like a high energy and power and happy. And so we brought this lady to the club. She did an education to all the coaches. All the coaches were really scared to try to do it. Because it's not easy, and to me, I'm. It's funny because um, uh, even if I'm talking a lot today, I'm not consider myself a talker. I'm pretty um, quiet, and I observe a lot. And when I say thing, is might not be a good thing, but <laughs> it's, uh, I'm the way that I. I like to be behind fans watching, and then I come probably, and I did that a lot to the club. I had Mattia was running the whole thing. I would come to him, hey, I'm noticing this, and he goes, oh, and so I always behind watching and share my point of view without being offensive or whatever you want to say it. I mean, is so I don't know. I just see things a little bit different and. So when I'm watching the cardio and I say okay this is me yes but I'm have to get out from my shelf and get like okay, be super high energy, yelling at people even if I like to yell at people by different way with music like keep it going and so it's like okay, I have to put my red nose and be a clown and let it go and. So the first few times that I tried to do the cardio class, it was so hard, so challenging. And then I was like, oh, and everybody's happy. Okay, this is going well. And it's like, you keep going. And then when you keep going and going, do you realize that when you are making like people move, like happy, they, are, they find themselves like hitting good shot it doesn't matter how, but they are hitting it. And then, like, beginners, they are playing, again, good player, and they can't handle because they're orange balls. And say, okay, this is perfect. And so I started liking it, and I, we created a big, big group in Tulsa, and we start like, doing events with triples. So you have play three against three, which that's another thing that ladies – <clears throat> the tournament here, but with yellow balls. So imagine that three people on the court, one is on top with yellow balls, so crazy, you're most likely going to get hit. <laughs> uh, but this is not, and this is the one always to make sure you stay is cardio triple tennis. You always put the cardio because the cardio means that you're using your netball balls. So if it becomes safe and fun, even if you are the net being a target, it is hard to hit you. So it's, it became like good in too many ways and everybody started, like liking it. So we, we start making like a family event and we split our six core, play music, have three or four people per team rotating. And then you play, believe me, after 30 minutes you're dead. <laughs> I mean, people think that it's not hard. If you do it right, you're on it. And as a teacher, as running the class, I didn't have to be moving that much, but I like to move. So I was moving with that. So as teaching the class. I, one hour I was like burning 700 calories and I go like this, this is perfect. I'm teaching. I'm having fun. I'm moving and it's, it's a happy because music and fun. And so I was a big part of that. Now it's crazy because since we moved to Tennessee and I'm at university, I've been not doing it. So I'm dying to do it. <laughs> but we went back to Tulsa to visit for Thanksgiving, some friends and my friend, which is still work on the class. It was well, since you're coming. We are doing a triple a event. So we went all together and did the triple a triple event. So that was fun. And um, so hopefully next year here I can, um, start doing stuff with that too because i i really enjoy it though
0: yeah moving and music raises your energy for sure and and according to what you said you 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 are always behind and and now you were leading (laughs) and that's a good thing from matthias that he lets you lead because he was the one in front and you start in. A new venture and that is great for you and great as a couple and going back to your tennis career you have one highlight uh, uh, Wimbledon highlight that you play Mm -hmm. the qualifying you play three matches of qualifying and then you have to play center court with Justine Henan and and that's a big change and what what happened inside your mind before that match when you were warming up in that match (laughs) and the first game of that Mm -hmm. match
1: actually this is funny I was that that was a a long long I said, like amount of tournaments together we went to Europe for 10 weeks and that was the last one and I have it's funny because at that point with my coach he was always fighting it worked it works well because uh, she made me play really good tennis but it's we were fighting all the time. I'm not easy to handle when I don't like something. <laughs> that what we gave away with Mattia because he ignored me most of the time. <laughs> but uh, I mean, I always like to know why we are doing this stuff. So uh, that doesn't mean I won't do it. I just ask why. And I did that also over training, like the fitness parts and all that. And they always like laugh at me. You always complain. I'm not complaining. I'm asking why. <laughs> it's different than complaining. Um, I would do it anyway. So here it was a big, big time of getting back and forth with the coach. I First I played Rolanda Ross and lost the last run of Quali, which is funny. That was the only run of plan. I didn't make it to the main draw, being an Argentinian. That's weird but my favorite tournament was Wimbledon so it's a good thing but she she was kind of no we you're not trying your best so we are going back home and I go like what (laughs) (laughs) I lost six four seven five I'm not trying my best like what's going on and so we got in a fight for a few weeks between Roland Garros and a few tournament and the tournament before Wimbledon which it was in Marseille and um, main road there, Claycourt, and I won the, that I think that was my biggest tournament that I won. Um I beat I think three top hundred players in that tournament. And I was playing good, smart, super confident. But we finished Sunday. We flew to London that night. So we get to London like a two in the morning. Then we are training on Monday, of course it's raining and we are playing first round of qualities on Tuesday. So on Monday, we only had 30 minutes court to practice. So that's my first time playing in grass and we play five minutes. And these other girls, the Spanish girl, she was super good and she loved grass and she goes okay let's play point and i go i play five minutes in grass just give me like five more no 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 it's gonna rain we have to play point. we'll play tomorrow so i we start playing point and i start hitting the ball and i go like oh okay i, I think i can play here and she finished again 30 minute practice only in grass and she goes like you're kidding me. How are you going to play the first time in grass and play this way? Well, they say, I guess I with confidence. I don't know. <laughs> and that should be the only answer because I never play here. I always play clay court. Like this is not normal to me. And I go, okay, well, yeah, you will be fine. And the next day I play with a Japanese girl that loves grass. And I'm like, the one like dying so tired like seven five in the third and i go like okay good i won a match in grass perfect then second match i played really good like two said easy and then the third match and the qualifiers, i played this girl that she was top ten in the wall then she got married and so took a break and then come back Her only two titles they were in grass <laughs> So I should have beat this girl, but I beat her, so I qualify. And then we are waiting on the draw, and Paola Suarez was with me. We were in the hotel room, and she goes like, okay, draw should be out, draw should be out. And I say, just don't give me the top five. Whoever else, I'm beating then in first round. I was, like, so confident. They said, but don't give me the top five, come on. I'm not even saying the top 10, They say top five. I was like so good feeling about myself. And Paola, remember she opened the internet and the page and she goes, and I look at her, don't tell me I play with the number one. And she goes, yeah. And I go like, well, who is number one? Because they changed the seat over here. Who is she? And she goes Justine, and I go, oh! Lisa, are you kidding me? And she goes, no. And she's coming from, I think, winning Roland Garros that that year. Yeah, I think she she won Roland Garros. And I go like, okay. And then I go mute. I couldn't speak talk, say anything, I usually wasn't a talker, (laughs) but I got completely mute. And then I remember that was probably on a, what was it, on a Friday that we find out. And for Saturday and Sunday, I remember being with um, Bettina Hosami. We could play doubles together, like going to London to just have a walk and see the city. And she goes, Georgie, you need to start talking again. <laughs> and I'm, I'm in shock. I mean, I can't say anything. And so it, it was shocking for too many days. But then when I was there, I was like, okay, I'm there. I'm good. And I say, chances to win, probably no, but I want to compete. You never know what can happen. And whatever. And so I, it helped me that we got into the court and after a few games started raining, so I had to go out. And so I thought that we actually don't be good for me because, you know, do it and again. Actually, the second time I did it, I was able to enjoy it. It was like, okay, I already been here. So it's good. I can play. Uh, let's have fun. And I was into it. And I try. And I feel that I play a decent match, first set and the half of the second set, but then the last three games, she kind of killed me. Uh-huh. But until then, I was like, "Oh, well, I'm actually playing here. This is, like it was my favorite tournament as a kid. I always loved it, even if I never played in grass and all that. I always like. I never watched a lot of tennis when I grew up. That was one of the tournaments that I always watched. And... You know, it's all the history and everything. And so to me, it was completely different and special to be there. And at one point, I kind of like, oh, why me? But then thank God it was me because only one can have that experience. I was lucky. So I don't change that for anything. Yes, I wish it was the second one, not the first one, <laughs> because that would help me to be top 100 probably, but they you unique things and it's nice, I mean it's, I don't know, not too many people come say that Open the tournament against the number one of the world in the Central Corps, So
0: Yeah, you had, you had the experience and <laughs> maybe back then you don't realize how, how important is it and now you go back and say I play Centre Court with number one and that's an amazing thing and maybe when you are there you don't want to be there because maybe you are shy or, or other things but it's an it's an amazing experience. And on the other hand, you had a, a daughter, Martina, that, that was diagnosed of diabetes. And how did the family took it? And, and what are the lessons of that disease that you have to, to overcome?
1: It's tough. I mean, it's, it's not easy. It's, it's, this is the funny thing. It's, um, it's something that you can live with, and technology goes so good and better, and it keeps getting better, and it's going to be better. So it make it more simple. That doesn't mean it's not stressful. Um, it's, so when, it's a funny story. <laughs> funny, well, let's call it that way. Uh, I When I was pregnant with Martina, one girl, nine years old, at the club, asked me to start coaching her. She's the Taiwan Diabetes. She had diabetes, so everybody was saying, no, don't coach her. your' you're pregnant, she's a pain. Like, how are you going to deal with diabetes and all that? And I go, what do you mean? And I go, well, she had this and that. And I go, like, well, that, it doesn't matter. Well, and the is crazy and the daddy's crazy. And I go, like, this, and all the parents here are crazy. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I mean, like, this is, no, but, you know, they're so intense with the diabetes. Oh, I might have to learn them. So everybody told me to not start teaching her, even my boss. And I go like, you know what? I'm good. So I say yes to this girl. And I just go like I just need to learn about diabetes. So I start like kind of meeting with the mom. She's teaching me, asking the girl question. I'm doing lesson. She's not feeling well. So we stop. And so I become like a second mom at one point. And her mom became one of my best friends still today, even if we move out of Tulsa, that's one of the ones that is still in touch 100%. And the dad, yes, uh, we did a lot of work with the dad. <laughs> and, and he learned how to be a little less intense and help the girl better and enjoy her tennis. So that was uh, a big thing to do with both parents, Uh, but I also understood why they were that way. Four years later, we see Martina having a hard time losing weight, but we saw she was growing because she got taller and all that. And we go to an annual checkup and the doctor goes like, can you tell me what's going on? And I start saying everything. And I don't know the symptoms I have. By then I didn't know like how you can recognize diabetes i knew how to treat diabetes not how to recognize it and and then the doctor goes we're gonna check her sugar and i go like what because i knew like poking a finger what that means and she goes i think she has taiwan and and i paralyzed that was like you know i as a mama always take my kid by myself to the checkup but well, that Friday, I told I told Matias, "Will you help me? I'm tired. Can we go together?" Like Nacho, my son, and um, he, he's almost two. He is a lot. Just bleed, so he came with me. Thanks God, he came with me. And yeah, sure enough, her sugar was over seven hundred, um, which normal is between 80 and 120. And then her kittens were over, off the charts, crazy. She is completely consuming herself, getting super skinny. And she goes, you have to go straight to the hospital. Likely in Tulsa, the children's hospital is really good. And um, so we took her there and usually how it works is when they get diagnosed with diabetes, they send you to the hospital. They put IV to get all the fluids in because that the first thing they, they need fluid. They need to start eating They need to start getting shot with insulin and all that. And then the next day you go to education, have to treat and live with diabetes. Well, that was Friday. Next day is weekend. No one worked there. So we had to spend Friday to Monday morning at the hospital. That probably was the worst days ever because you know, so hard go home and have your child in the hospital. Matias wouldn't move like from the hospital. So I have, and I still have Nacho two years old. He needs me more than actually Martina. So I'm going back and forth with Nacho and Martinez with Matias and to be honest, he ended up the best weekend ever because we learned so much in two days because the nurses were able to answer all the questions. It wasn't busy, the hospital, so they spent a lot of time with Martina, they give her special treatment, like it was so good. And so by the time we were on Monday on education, we knew what they were saying already. So when it wasn't new, so we already learned how to come carbs and sugar and all that kind of stuff, all the education, but Monday was like, whew. Like three hours getting information, and to be honest, a lot of numbers is is something that I I was saying yeah I don't know how people struggle with numbers, or is not and this might not sound right, but the people is not smart enough to simplify things like with daily stuff. How they can deal with a kid with diabetes? This this is. Have. And I would say you never, never, never understand how hard is diabetes until you have someone inside the family and live with them. Because you get up and night, it's like having a newborn sometimes, you know, like you sleep one hour and then you get up and you know, she's low, she's high. And so it's hard, but we took it, you know, it is what it is. We, it's going to make us tough which I think it is, even more. Um she's a funny kid. She's uh, she's super super like uh, strict on a lot of stuff. She learns, she listened, she I always say she's really coachable. Not to mom maybe, but <laughs> uh, but that comes with everything. Like she have she's a kid that wake up in the morning with a smile on her face. She's never in mad mood until her sugar is kind of crazy. So she's a happy kid. She loves tennis. She loves soccer. My boy does another thing He's obsessed with soccer, but she loves tennis and soccer a lot. And she loves talking. So she's really social, super girly. She's, I would say she's the bride of the house because she's, she's crazy. She, you, you wouldn't, it's hard to understand how hard is diabetes to deal with that you never believe that she have any of that. Never. Because it is funny. When we, we start different um, club with soccer or tennis or things and people know her, and then they start seeing months month later, oh, she has a pump, she had to put her finger, she has something on her arm, oh, she need a candy, oh, she need a shot. And the, the kids and the mom go, oh, we didn't know she had diabetes. She does pretty well and say, well, we don't let diabetes to the day our life. And that was as a kid, and it's hard because I'm super hard on her. And then the other hand, it breaks me in pieces. But I always tell her, like, she get moody because her sugar was super high. And I go, okay, this is the time that are you going to diabetes win or are you going to be Martina? Uh, You choose. It's always your choice. I know you you don't feel good, but that's your choice. So you tell me. And she goes. Fine, and she gets it and she, she sweeps her chip, and she's happy again. It's funny, but, I mean, I we can't live, like, it's funny because you, I always say, like, people can live diabetes, like, thinking that you are saving her life every single second, and you can't live it like that. So, I said, like, you have that, you deal with it, some other one, they have glasses, they have whatever else. I mean, you move on and nothing will stop you. Then. Mm-hmm. I think she got it.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's a great story and a great lesson for everyone. And kids used to teach us many things. And uh, and before leaving our conversation, what where can people can kind of find you in social media? What are your main social media platforms?
1: I uh, it's funny, I'm no super big <laughs> in social media, but I try I've been doing a good job, but as older I I am, I still use Facebook the most, which is Georgie Cravero there, but then I have to get Instagram because I have to get like keep up with the kids here. <laughs> so it's Georgie Cravero. It's simple. Um, and yeah, but I don't know. I'm not really big on, on so I we show more my kids. Actually, uh, to my family, then actually my work. I would say. It yeah, is, you,
0: you have you have um, you have some hobby to to share to the world. So maybe the, the listener can reach your account uh, well, and see yeah. about your hobby.
1: It's, I'm on the crafty part, um, I got into the crafty world, I would say I a few years ago. I asked for Christmas as a kid, I asked say Christmas first, a cricket machine, which is you cut vinyl and make designs and you can make shirts, hoodies, Mac caps, whatever you can make all that fun stuff. So it became a big, big outlet for me. Like I say, with Martina, it was things got stressed, stress, like kind of stressful at home, but also. You don't have to forget, I have a boy that I have to balance with. And so that's, he, I think he gets the hardest part um, <laughs> on all this. But I asked for that just to get an outlet of everything. And the kids is funny because I love it. They asked me to do this stuff. So m- m- since my boy is crazy about soccer, he goes, Mom, I got this shirt. Will you put Messi and the 10 on the back? <laughs> Will you do the uh, Devo Martinez shirt with the 23, please? And so he made me do all that kind of stuff, which I love it. And then uh, I tried to create my own things too. And, and I eventually in Tulsa, I started selling some stuff. So I put the. Uh, I did ladies event and like all the trophies and all that kind of stuff where I made them and all the wooden bag for the ladies on the tournament, I made those and And then eventually started selling some, which I think I'd have an Instagram for that one. But see, it be like no reuse. I put G- GC Craft and and actually that's one thing eventually I hope to do here. like. I'm helping the Tennessee team right now at the university, but I think in six months that will be like it. I will finish the season and try to start teaching on my own, and hopefully get into the crafty car and start doing it again because I I love it. Uh, I mean it's a it's funny because uh, i find a part of myself that uh, i never saw that would be something i was with, really created but never with my hands like it's weird i mean I, I we write stories as a kid and all that kind of stuff but drawing coloring pictures all that kind of is not my thing and with this is i love it so i cannot get my other side and i always say it's is go to therapy or do the crafty part and craft wins so that's good
0: well you have a goal <clears throat> in mind and for sure yeah you pursue it and you, you will accomplish it and, and you said that you were kind of shy but we spoke for more than an hour and you spoke 80 <laughs> percent of the time so uh this was a great conversation and, and thanks for taking your time to speaking with me and joining your testimony with the tribe
1: Thank you. Thank you. And I hope like people enjoy it and can learn that you can have happiness, even when you are like leaving a step behind that is not easy, but then it's always good things to come though. It's fun.
0: Yeah. You're doing a great job, Georgie. For sure. You're doing mm-hmm. great. Thanks for the conversation.
1: Thank you. Thank you, man. What
0: a great guest we had today, unique content. If you like it, resonate with it, or find information in this episode valuable, please leave a review or share it with a friend. See you in the next episode.